0: episode 116 of No Challenges Remaining. I'm Ben Rothenberg, joined for the 116th-ish time by Courtney Nguyen. Hi, Courtney. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing well. And yourself, Ben?
0: How's uh, this little lull between the grass and the hard treating you?
1: It's okay. It's fine. Um, it's giving, I think, everybody an opportunity to just kind of take a deep breath and reset for what is going to be at least in my opinion, and I think in your opinion as well, a, uh, a pretty intense summer, uh, the summer of Slam, the summer of Serena, all that sort of stuff as, as we lead up through to, to New York. So I think in a lot of ways, it, it has been nice to just have a few weeks to take a bit of a chill pill and take a step back, even though there have been tournaments and there's been some great stuff happening. Lazy Serenko wins her first WTA title. Uh, Sam Stozer adds to her tally. Dominic Team, Bernard Tomic, Benoit Paire, All titleists over the weekend, but all interesting um, characters and all interesting characters and all great stories. But in the grand scheme of things, it's been nice to just put a bit of a pause on tennis and just uh, you know get your shit in order.
0: Quick take, Dominic team's hair, yeah.
1: Oh, hilarious!
0: (laughs) Hilarious in a good way or bad?
1: Love it. I'll take any. I mean, honestly, like sometimes it (laughs) it speaks so much about the conservative confines of this sport that that we love that someone bleach like bleach dyes their hair and it's like oh (laughs) like you know what i mean you know or like yeah like an austrian with
0: blonde hair oh my god
1: exactly like the yeah or even the nick curious like oh you know this guy wears a sleeve how dare he like you know like like tennis let's let's go ahead and, and loosen the belt a little bit let, let's let's agree to have a little fun let's let these kids be kids with their crazy tattoos it doesn't mean that you have to like be like isn't this haircut great like you don't have to say that but you can say like isn't it great that t- that everyone just doesn't look like they've been uh popped out of some sort of uh you know european tennis machine um and everybody's cookie cutter so i i like it it it, it amuses me I don't really understand the motivation behind it, but it amuses me.
0: Yeah, nor me, and it's it's weird coming from him because he's so serious generally. So serious. He's not like a playful guy, and that is very playful hair. Unless you want to see it as like, Dolph Lundgren bleached hair, in which case it's or or Roger
1: Federer punk hair.
0: Oh yeah, punk Federer. I don't think it's my favorite. He he doesn't quite have the, the the punk fed snarl. No. No, that's key he kind uh, of
1: he's got he, and the cut itself is kind of it's more
0: zach Morris zach
1: morris yeah. than yeah than, than punk fed
0: which is also fine i'm happy with zach morris hair yeah. um so we'll talk not much about hair on the show i think beyond this unless we we'll see if it comes up we're happy to discuss it but we'll do a lot more questions from you guys it'll be our second sort of question heavy show we got lots of stuff from y'all and we'll get to it you ready to answer some stuff courtney Let's, let's answer some cues. Okay, here is the first of the cues. This is from Anu Padu who asks us regarding scheduling: How much responsibility do you think tourney organizers should take should take for putting young talent/slash women on big courts to help the longevity of tennis? Stars like Fed, Rafa, Serena, Maria, etc., will not be around in a few years, and I worry a lot of occasional tennis fans will not tune in if they aren't introduced to new players now. Re-ticket buyers wanting to see big names, surely they would prefer to see a competitive match, i.e. Kerber-Muguruza, than a rout, i.e. serena tamea Roger-Jumer, etc. Thanks. Um, I will first answer the last part of this question, which I completely disagree, that the average ticket buyer would rather see a competitive match between sort of B-level players yeah. than a, a Fretter route. Completely like people, disagree. People, you completely disagree with the presumption, right?
1: Correct, yes. Yeah. I think we both, when we were reading the question, were like, this is a great question, and then got to the end, I was like, but disagree with that the the assumption based in in the last part because that is absolutely not true.
0: Hardcore tennis fans might prefer better matches, and I do. I'm certainly, I consider myself in that vein of people who are close to the sport and would rather watch, you know, an epic you know, Kerber Muguruza than Serena Babos. But people who come to tennis generally come to see the stars. People yep. people when they talk about when the City Open Washington tournament's coming up next week, people ask like, oh, who's playing? And I don't say like, well, a bunch of players who are in the 30s who are pretty evenly matched and gonna give each other great fights. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. they want to know that Andy Murray is going to be there or that Roger Federer won't be there. You know, yeah. that's what matters to people is the, the box office. When people only go to tennis as ticket buyers most people only go to tennis once a year. It's probably I'm sure the mode number of ticket buyer attendance at tournaments in a year. Beyond that, yeah, people on TV close yeah. matches are it, but in person, I think stars really went out.
1: Stars really went out, and 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 I don't think that that's necessarily you know uh, breaking news anywhere, right? I mean, it, it, why do you know uh, summer blockbuster movies make you know, 300, 400, 400 million dollars worldwide, even though they're shitty movies uh, compared to some indie uh, small outhouse movie that everyone agrees is like, you know, a great movie or something. It's because of the stars. And it's because at the, at the end of the day, there are far more people who are uh, casual tennis fans who are going to pay to go to, you know, you know, to go to, to tennis tournaments than there are the hardcores. And I think that that sometimes... We don't really feel that way, especially if you're kind of part of the the tennis, uh, like online community, like if you're on Twitter or um, tennis forum or, you know, those sorts of or like tennis world in the comments, like whatever is your online tennis community, you become really accustomed to and, and kind of expect that. Um, all tennis fans are like hardcore tennis fans who are staying up until th- or waking up at three o'clock in the morning to watch. Yeah, like uh, evenly matched, you know, Streets of a Cornet match in the middle of nowhere, you know, and it's like, yeah, I mean, so, I mean, there is a, a group of us that do, but we are not the ones that pay the bills. And the right. people that pay the bills are the people are our are, are broadcasters, a um, who uh, can sell or sell ad time because they can just say. Serena Williams is playing on this day. I mean, like in, uh, I'll be covering you're in Washington, D.C. next week. I will be mm-hmm. covering Stanford um, and Stanford has uh, uh, Serena uh, so far confirmed. And yeah, I mean, they already have, you know, if you guys want to see Serena ticket buyers, here's when she's playing her first match.
0: Yeah. Washington already, too.
1: Exactly. It's already been pre-advertised, already been pre-slotted because people want to see Serena. They really don't really care who's on the other side of the versus um line you know so uh, yeah so broadcasters obviously pay those bills when it comes to ticket sales you're talking about corporate ticket sales um honestly corporate ticket sales they don't care really what's on the court that much uh ideally you know it's like a roger Federer or a serena williams like if it's the u.s open right like you can if you're jp morgan chase you can and uh, you have box a box on Arthur Ashe. You can invite your top level clients and say, "Oh yeah, we have tickets. Roger Federer is playing tonight. Um, do you want to come and 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 network and mingle?" Uh, so that's the value that's provided there. So yeah, so that's all to say. I think that um, you know as much as it can pain us sometimes, like the the super hardcores that just like watching a, a evenly matched tennis match. Um, the stars, the stars. Uh, the stars sell the sport.
0: Yeah, for every person who is gets excited about Krunic Putinseva, there are, you know, literally ten thousand more who would rather watch Federer, yep. and that's just how it works. And that's that's fine. Um, and it's it's how the how the game has always been played. I I do think, sort of the notion that like tennis will be completely dead if we don't if we don't somehow pass the torch slowly to these other players. I don't entirely. I mean, there will be a lull for sure, but there's Tennis will rebound eventually. And the way that players will get to be in these spots is by coming out and winning these titles. Like, for example, if Muguruza had beaten Serena at the Wimbledon final, it would have been a huge way for her to become a star and to become yeah. one of these A-list type people.
1: She would have by, then deserved. By take
0: takeover, yeah.
1: Yeah, she would have deserved because then we would be in a situation where you would say, are you seriously going to put the Wimbledon champion on court four? Right. Like like once you have that as part of your resume, you know, like you look at a Kvitova in terms of her star power, her court assignment, probably uh, she punches above her 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 star power kind of class um, in terms of her court assignments, because you can't put like a two time, you know, Wimbledon champion. Uh, out on court nine that, that's that's just not acceptable and
0: she's always been a, and she's been mostly a top five player since yeah then. she's mostly a top it's not five like player. Not, not like who's net civil let's say who is a two-time slam champ right. but has been you know slumming less it out yeah, yeah less
1: relevant nowadays uh and then you have the other the flip side where you have you know the, the caroline wozniackis uh of the world who again everybody knows doesn't have a major uh but former number one she sells tickets people like her uh tv likes her she just yeah some you know she's broken through to be a star that's bigger than just like that you know blonde girl from Dan- from Denmark i mean she she's she's a bit more of a a global icon so that's going to sell tickets so you know there is that side of things the other thing too is that i think I, I disagree with you with ben slightly because i do think that kind of you know the tours need to be like uh, definitely conscious of the fact that, like you know, yeah. we see this with the ATP all the time. Like, especially being in the media media room, right? Like you and I talk about it all the time offline about, you know, if they keep pushing just the big four and if they keep shunting all the other guys and not really focusing on, you know, the the next generation, the younger generation. Like, you know, they realize Roger's not playing forever, right?
0: No, and I to- like, I, to- I totally know- buy that, and especially when you look at the fact that, like, I think Vidova we mentioned. A bit of our Adelpo is the youngest person to own yeah. a slam right now, and she's like 25. Yeah, like there's just the, the there's a big gap right now that we haven't had before. Pretty much, I'm willing to bet in tennis history, if I people go back or at least close to it, there's never been a time when there was no one 24 or younger in the world who won a single slam. Yeah, that's that's an unsteady base, and I do think people would be concerned about it. I just also think that when it when the transition does come. It will happen in a somewhat organic way. And
1: I think that's definitely true. But I, I do think that like, um, you know, because uh, I think I talked to you about this before. There is it's an interesting tension that I see all the time, like kind of like seeing people's reactions, especially on social media about uh, like, OK, obviously, as we just discussed uh, because of tv deals because of uh because blockbuster names the big names sell tickets and and provide value perceived value um to the general public that they're the ones that get you know the headlines they're the ones that get the cover uh you know top billing and all these sorts of things which is understandable uh obviously uh, within the hardcore attendance fandom you'll get the backlash to that right of like oh you know like Sharapova doesn't deserve it she hasn't done anything really and oh Ivanovich hasn't won anything since 2008 how come she's on the marquee um you know Bouchard everybody keeps trying to sell Bouchard and you know she didn't do anything you know whatever it is or Stevens or Keys um and I find it kind of it's like a funny tension right because on one hand everybody's like we don't want the hardcores like we don't want you to sell this, just the stars like there's this entire landscape of player that is also that deserves their kind of like spotlight as well, which I totally agree. Um, but at the same time, like when the tours, I see this particularly with WTA, a little bit with ATB, but particularly with WTA, that when the tours do promote like those, those like other people, everybody's like, "Oh, she hasn't done anything! Like, I can't believe that you guys are writing about her." It's like you can't have you can't have it both ways, <laughs> like you know, like either you have it. Like I think that the, you see kind of the contrast a little bit that like yeah, it's all it, it's a funny discussion. I think that John Wertheim had a very good question and answer in his last mailbag about it, where I think somebody asked him a question about this whole rising WTA rising stars thing and. You know, like, oh, it's just a marketing ploy and things like that. And he was like, Yeah, but what are you supposed to do? Like, if somebody does if somebody young does something awesome, are you really gonna say, like, yeah, but you know, she's never gonna amount to much? <laughs> like, you know, like the tourist the tourist not in a situation to do that. You know, so what's the what's the harm of just being like, yeah, like they might be something?
0: Can we Maybe. segue? Can we segue into another question on that from sure. Robin VC asks asks at what age? the WTA stop trying to plug a player as one of its rising stars? And Courtney, I don't know if you got handed a WTA style guide when you when you set up at <laughs> the office in St. Pete, but there is I learned at some point that there is actually like some relatively firm criteria about yep. what makes a rising star and that you have to be twenty three and under.
1: Twenty three and under is the cutoff I heard. And yeah.
0: show like potential to be make an impact at the top. The next second part of it's it's fuzzier. That's it's the more subjective potential. side of it. Yeah.
1: And that's, I think, that that second aspect is kind of where I think that John's uh, response kind of is apropos, right? It's like, okay, we have to decide, like, is this person who is Lesia Serenko going to make an impact on the tour down the road? And it's like, on the whole, don't, shouldn't we all, especially for the tour, from the tour's perspective, shouldn't you err on the side of saying maybe? <laughs> like, you know, like, yeah. as opposed to being like, nah. <laughs> I,
0: I remember, I remember during the French when they had Alice, they had rising star Alison Van I Bank <laughs> and just mm-hmm. being like, okay. I mean, she beat nobody here, but rising star, sure. Sure. And at the same, I, I, I understand people who are so, you know, refreshing their tennis Twitter every 15 minutes just get like inundated with the term and think that it's sort of amusing. But when you think about it, like from a more, local perspective, if you're, you know, let's say, I don't know, Linz as a tournament and you have An Ivanovich, like former number one's An Ivanovich and elena Yankovic coming, plus rising stars, Pliskova, and so and so. It's like, oh okay. Yeah, we have it gives some you people some people who, who are of... like might be who are like considered something. It's it's yeah. a kind of harmless tag. I get I get the exhaustion with it at some level when it's overused, but I think mostly it's relatively harmless. If you want to roll your eyes at it, fine, but
1: Yeah, no, I, I think that that I think that that's 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 probably fair and I think that um you know from looking at it and I remember having this conversation with you before uh I was hired at the WTA, but like um that I would rather have that than the opposite. So I I would rather have a tour trying to shove like rising you know uh trying to prop up their their younger stars like left and right, than one that was like eh here's Maria Sharapova and and, and Serena Williams again you know what I mean and yeah. and kind of relying on what is the bankable power the thing that you know will d- will drive traffic hits ad sales all these sorts of things, uh but you know to be what is effectively a finite resource. And trying to diversify your portfolio, I'd rather that and I, and I do think that like with the ATP, for example, I would love to see them actually push their young guns more than they do um, because like outside of that um, photo shoot for The Daily Mail at Wimbledon, there
0: the one where it looked really... like Alex Vera was going to leap onto <laughs> young Chung.
1: Poor Young Chung. <laughs> why
0: is he um, on the ground? Let him stand up.
1: And why, I, Zverev? Like, really, you couldn't button up the shirt? It was very weird. Like, I, I felt like there were some value judgments being made the unbuttoned shirt. How I was fine with, because that
0: the unbuttoned shirt was fine because that that was very boy band to me. The whole thing was it was boy bandish. It but was yeah. very
1: like Backstreet Boys photo shoot from like nineteen
0: ninety like eight. Backstreet Boys plus like their manager Kyle Edmund, who doesn't really belong in the band. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I was like, oh, but, you know, I would but even then I would still rather ATV try to be pushing Kyle Edmund than being like, nah,
0: like you, know, yeah, sure. like,
1: you know, like, like, what's the harm? Like, who, who is this hurting? It's hurting no one. And it's at least showing that there's some like, you know, intention of getting new faces and getting people to think outside of the big four box and with the WTA thinking outside of the, you know, the Serena Maria kind of like duo. Um, up at the top of the game. And and that's very hard. That, that that's a very difficult I think um place to take both tours because it's so comfortable for everybody to keep things, you know, focused on 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 the men and women that that drive this sport right now and just to ride that until the very end, but but um, to actually invest the resources and try and do more. Um I think that's that is what what they should do and it doesn't hurt.
0: Let's go to a question from Emma 40 Love who asks who in the current crop of under 23s do you expect to be top ten staples in the next few years? And I think I'm gonna edit this question to under 21, just because I know where a list of everyone under 21 is. Um, <laughs> and that's easier because I'm not always great at knowing who's 23 and who's 24. Because the annoying thing with ten- the annoying thing with tennis player ages is they change like yearly. Yep. Ugh. And like, and not at the same time. It's the worst.
1: Yeah. Every once in a while on Twitter, I'll send the like like fact checker update like you know Belinda Bencic is now 18 years old <laughs> like you know like because you just get used to it like in the rhythm of it and then yeah and then a, something a day happens and you're like well shit I gotta revise it especially
0: that. becomes it becomes like their calling card especially for the teenagers it's like yeah, his, his full name actually on his driver's license is 16 year old Francis Tiapo, or whatever <laughs> it. you know they just have to go by this whole handle all yeah. the time so let's start with the men so top men currently 21 and under in the top 100 are uh, Dominic Team at 21, born at short at 18, Nick Kyrios at 20, uh, Tenazi Kokonakis 19, Hyung Chung 19, Lucas Pui 21, Sasha Zverev 18. That's it for the top hundred. And then Kyle Edmund poking in there, putting his petition in for the band nicely. Uh, Kimmer copyhands, I didn't realize Copeland was still 21. Um, I thought he was older. That was way. He was older than that too.
1: Yeah, Elias Emer, 19 yeah. years old, of Sweden, number 136. Yoshido Nishioka, 19 years old, out of Japan. The Japanese uh, press really like him quite a bit. And there's Little a name we haven't Little seen nishy. in a while. Uh, Adam Pavlasek.
0: Yeah, he was talked Nine about a lot old. when he was picturing rid of his boyfriend, what? obviously, yeah. when he was a child. Yeah. Um, yeah, and Jared Donaldson, 18-year-old, also 150. Liam Brody, 21-year-old. I mean, there's some, There's some names in here. Andre Rublev yeah. over down there, 17, just inside the top 200. Uh, yeah, any of these names strike you as particularly sturdy? I mean, what she was saying, steady top tenor is a, is a tough thing to nail when they, they're all this far out.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's so much harder to, to, to assess for the guys than it is for the girls because, um, you know, physicality matters so much in the men's game. And, and you don't know, you know, how their bodies will will hold up. Um, especially the ones that are still teenagers I mean tanasi Kokonakis is like when you see him he still has to me like a teenager's body yeah. like I'm like yeah you're gonna need to you're going to get stronger pretty and, yeah he's, he's he's lanky you know uh young Chung can do the same pui is is, is quite small and, and you feel like okay let's see if you can bulk up a little bit zverev good lord last year I remember in watching him in Hamburg um just being like how are his legs not breaking like as he was like kind of slipping and sliding everywhere he looked like bambi as his legs would look like toothpicks yeah um so he's definitely a player who's gonna who should and can obviously get much stronger i mean to me i think um top 10 Ah, so hard
0: the safest bet of this group to be in a top 10 at some point i think for me is charge
1: exactly Chorich was my pick uh of, of this group um yeah at eighteen years old, he's already shown a lot of physical resiliency. He's a great competitor, yeah. Um, and I think that what I like about Chorich, that sets him apart from maybe not with team per se, but with the rest of the crew here, is um, he wants to work, yeah. Like like he wants to be. He's already in his head like incredibly professional at eighteen years old. Far more so, I think than. Than Kyrios or or Kokonakis, who are still kind of like figuring out, you know, what they exactly want out of their careers. Although I think, I mean, putting Kokonakis and Kyrios in the same boat on that is pretty unfair to Tanasi. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I mean, Chorich, is he's impressive, and I think that with him being the youngest of that whole crew, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. youngest in top hundred. Yeah,
1: it's the youngest him in top one hundred and fifty. Yeah, uh, youngest until D- Donaldson. Donaldson at one fifty four. Yeah. Um, In terms of being so, senior,
0: I'm not sure if I don't know if Zverev or Chorich is younger. Actually, they're both 18.
1: Oh, right, yeah, they're both anyway. 18. But yeah, no, Chorich is is physically, I think. Uh, yeah, he, and that's much just more resilient.
0: That just comes with age. I mean, like someone like Zverev does and Kokonakis don't look like they've really filled out. Whereas players like Chorich and Emer, Emer is a pretty physical player already. It's mm-hmm. pretty strong guy
1: um edmund edmund is Edmund's
0: pretty geez, yeah it's pretty strong guy too he's only 20 he
1: looks like he's like bought into the andy murray school of like get ripped
0: pale not like in ball. a yeah.
1: yeah of just like Ooh, you are a pale dude but you are incredibly fit um like team can get a lot fitter than he is um yeah so you know that's the biggest uh question for me is 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 what happens but at the end of the day I mean you look at like the ATP top 10 and, and you look in five years and it's going to look obviously very very different I think that it will look incredibly different after Rio um, so you know at some point there will be at least you know five names that will vacate fairly within the next five years so there's no reason to think that that you know those five or six guys I'd say team Chorich, Kyrios, Kokonakis, and Chung uh, won't be uh, at least knocking on the door of that top 10.
0: I would agree with that. Let's shift to the ladies. The ladies for this question, there's a bunch more of them, obviously in the top 100, who are 21 and under. In order, they are number 9, Garbina Muguruza, who is 21. Uh, number 18, Madison Keyes, who is 20. Number 20, Alina Svitolina, who is 20. Uh, number 22, Belinda Bencic, who is 18. Uh, number 25, Jeannie Bouchard. Uh, who's twenty one Bouchard below Benchich, I didn't realize that. Um yeah. also in there 21 and under Dias, Garcia, Gavrilova, Schmidlova Van Oitvanck, Vithoft, Siniakova, Beck, Sai Zhang, Putinsela, Friedzim, Kovinich, Davis, Kanyuch, Puig, Smikova, Mestach. So there's a lot. A lot of bodies just top hundred. Then you go outside it, you see notable names like Yelena Ostapenko who's only 18 and obviously beat Suarez Navarro in a weird beatdown at Wimbledon uh Dodan O'Shan Dodan's has got a lot of hype she's 18 uh Donna Vekic, she's only 19 she's 130 you know there's there's many more bodies coming up at younger who's
1: yeah Risa Ozaki number 137 21 year old who's the one that that uh beat Coco Vandaway in Acapulco last year and um, forced Coco vandaway to be like, man, I should not be losing to this girl. <laughs> and, like Coco completely revamped her entire fitness uh, and strength and conditioning regimen, and look at her now.
0: And we have um, two Americans at 151 That's 152. That's Kat, Kat Stewart and Cece Bellis, uh, both 18 and 16, respectively. Uh, also yeah. a name
1: that's around here that that is not probably going to be in this list, Laura Robson.
0: Yeah, she's Uh, twenty, one, yep. Okay, yeah. And so she's obviously her ranking is down at the moment, but she is coming back. Want to double? Want to made a doubles final in Granby or something?
1: Is that what happened there? Because like the tennis Canada account uh tweeted like congrats to our Canadian champions and like in one of the pictures it was Laura standing next to somebody and I was like what's going on here?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I just I saw that tweet too and just assumed that she like made a doubles final in Granby. Yeah. Which okay. plausible. good for her Okay. Sure. Uh, with some Canadian girl who maybe she met before, maybe not. Uh, yeah, so sturdiest names in the women's side. It's tough. I think it's tough. It's tougher because they're they're kind of more established. I mean, in terms of top ten, Muguruza, I think will be in the top ten for yeah. quite a while. She's in there already. I don't yeah. see you're going anywhere long term.
1: Well, and also, I mean, you have to also look at the WTA top 10 anyway, as it exists, I think it's in a different state than the ATP top 10, because it's less fragile within the next five years. I mean, you know, yes, maybe Serena vacates, maybe, maybe Sharapova vacates, you know, in in the next five years or so uh but past that i mean who are you know uh petra still around caroline uh vika's not in the top 10 yet but she's well gonna made. be a top she'll be back in the top 10 she she belongs there um and, and should be there but there are um, some
0: players in there who i just don't know if i have the faith in them being top 10 caliber players long term like that's true Car- too. like Carla or safarova. safarova exactly
1: yeah that's true that's definitely true. So there's a, there's definitely more movement there, but yeah, I think Muguruza for sure, just because like she can win on all surfaces. Yeah. Um. Uh. She just needs to be a little bit more consistent, but obviously she's already at number nine, which is fantastic. Um. Madison's at 18 already, and again, I mean, we talk about Maddie often on this podcast, and not unlike Muguruza, it's about the consistency. Uh, with her because like you know she and Muguruza, it's no, it's no surprised that they're the highest ranked of that under 20 of that 21 and under set because they have the weapons that they that can compete with the 21 and over set yeah. whereas when you look at like the Svitolina Bencic Diaz uh, um that's where it gets a little bit more difficult because you're kind of like because they're great like especially like Svitolina in my opinion mm-hmm. is of like that crew the best competitor
0: yeah and she's a
1: very tough out like you know like um but I also think that her game needs to be transformed a little bit over the next few years. She needs to be less of a, a clay court kind of pusher when she has the ability to step into the court and be more aggressive. So if she makes that change. I think things could change. But otherwise, I think it'll, it'll take her some time to get closer to like 12 in the rankings, you know, to where she's knocking on the door. Kind of the same with Bencic a little bit. I, I still believe in Bencic,
0: but. Bencic, I think, will taste the top 10 within a couple of years. A couple
1: think so. years. Maybe. Maybe. She needs a big slam result. That's one it. thing, too. In order to do it, you need a slam result.
0: That's what Muguruza, um, how she vaulted it up, yeah.
1: Yeah, that's how Madison, uh, yeah, even sure. uh, Svitolina, uh, and Bencic, all for them, because Bencic made the quarters at the U.S. Open last year.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, so that's still on her numbers. Svitolina making the quarters. The French. Um. So that that's what you need to, to get up there.
0: And who knows with Jeannie?
1: Yeah. I mean, she's, I mean, she's such an interesting one. I mean, she's such a wild card and it's, it, it's so it's, it's tough to kind of like talk about where her, where, what her prospects are this
0: is, you can't, or aren't. You can't right now. This is not I, I a time when you can, there's yeah, too much movement they, right now.
1: And there's not a lot of data points. Yeah. If you want to if you want to take the stand that like Eugenie Bouchard is like a future star, future talent, she will be back into the top 10 in the next 12 months. Um, you're basing it off of a very limited sample size, which is one year, one pro year on the tour, right? Last year, um, and not even necessarily the full year, but like a, a six month stretch, six seven month stretch. Um, and then if you take the flip argument and say no, like she, you know that that year was an anomaly. Again, you're you're basing it off of a seven month stretch of of this year of, right. of substandard results. So it's it's tough. It's tough to know.
0: Too early to know. Talking about too early, let's go even younger to talk about one of the big stories of last week and what was, as we said, kind of a slow week. A lot of people were tuning into Challenger Streams from Granby, where Laura Robson may or may not have made a double final, to discuss uh, Felix Auger-Aliassime. I might be pronouncing that completely wrong, So I've never heard his name pronounced, because he's only 14. And he's brand new, won a couple matches. He's Canadian? He's French-Canadian, yep. And he won mm-hmm. a couple matches at the Grand Prix Challenger in Quebec, to make the quarterfinals there, being only 14, which is pretty unheard of on the men's side at all, at the pro level. Uh, He hasn't even played junior slams, and he was beating players who were near the top 200 on the men's side. Uh, So Radazana asks us, what do you guys think of 14-year-old Auger uh, Aliasame, too young to start playing the tour? And I, I don't even think we i don't even know how we talk about somebody who's 14
1: like okay, i mean it, i saw
0: him briefly but like even then how do you and should you even talk about somebody who's only 14
1: that's the thing right i mean like put it this way ryan harrison won a pro match when he was very young
0: 15 i think yeah
1: yeah 15 not 14 but 15 uh but atp tour level
0: not yeah, even on and the and challenger Houston. level. It was main draw a tour Houston.
1: Houston, main draw Houston. And
0: he, he was 15 years old. That, I think, too. Yeah, I
1: mean, you know, and it was great. And, you know, he had all of the year. I mean, if you've ever met Ryan Harrison, even as a 15 year old, uh, he has that air of a guy who's going to be a a top, you know, 20 ATP professional sooner rather than later. Yeah. And, you know, life doesn't always work that way. And And, like I said before, when we were talking about the under 21s on the ATP side, it's so hard to to handicap male talent at a young age because so much changes so much whereas on the women's side as we see like the success does come a little bit earlier so you can look at somebody who won a junior slam at 16 17 years old and and it's a pretty good indication that within three or four years they will be top 100 at a minimum uh, and possibly top 60 top 50 so and then from there you can kind of you know gauge things so, I don't know. I think at fourteen years old, you know, you you say great job, you're a prospect, but let's not pull like a uh, John McEnroe and Donald Young sort of thing where it's like ah, this kid's got incredible talent, you know, and is gonna be a thing. It's like ah,
0: yeah. That's the question I was gonna ask her next. Is is it irresponsible to hype a kid this young? Like, does it do some possible harm to Felix to have him have people say like he's gonna be a top tenor someday? When he's, well you know barely through puberty
1: here's the thing what do we consider harm right okay if you look at like for example a player like a francis Tiafo. yeah who i've seen play uh many times um or you know more times than i've seen a lot of youngsters play i there are some aspects of his game that are that are very you know intriguing there are other aspects of his game that are that seem problematic and potentially career limiting um but with so much of the hype that that he's received, he signed with you know he got a, a you know an early management deal. He's turned pro, you know he might be able to to kind of cash out on that and make some money out of it. Um, maybe that's everybody's life situation is different. I'm just yeah. using Francis. And doesn't
0: doesn't come from money, as they say. Tiafo right. also, by the way, lost to Andy Roddick tonight in an exhibition. Kitty, okay. tape this in, on Monday night in Atlanta.
1: In an a XO. In an XO. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, I mean, it's kind of like, did it do him? Do, does the hype do him harm? Well, I mean, what if the hype got him, you know, paychecks he never would have otherwise received? If everybody like just was like, nah, let's wait and see. So, I don't know. Like, how do we define what is harmful to a player?
0: And that's true because we, there's no guarantee at all that Tiafo, who is now 274, I mean, we can say we can be hopeful, but there's no guarantee he'll even be a top 50 player any day. We don't know. right? And nothing's for sure. So if he gets some massive signing bonus from Rock Nation, and gets to hang out with Jay-Z and Beyonce, and this is as good as it gets for him. You it's know, pretty good. Good. For, good for you to have this moment in your life where you had this. Yeah. And you could have at least been, you know, had that moment where a lot of people are complete never wases, as they say in yeah. A-Ducks. Um, yeah, I think that's all fine. But I do think that it's important not to get carried away when you're talking about someone who's 14 playing in the early rounds of the Granby challenger. Like you cannot, I don't think there are grand pronouncements that you made about anything you see there at all. Yeah. Let's go to another question. How about this one from footfall tennis changing topics completely asks, is Olympic gold in Rio going to be worth less than gold in London at Wimbledon, lack of venue, prestige, etc. cetera. Olympics are coming up in less than a year, pretty much. That's
1: crazy.
0: Getting ready for Olympics. Are you going to be
1: there, Ben? Are you going to be in? Are you going to get to go to Rio?
0: Maybe we'll see. Yeah. Maybe.
1: Do you want to go? I guess that's the yeah, other question. Yeah, I think
0: so. I mean, I I want to try a different Olympics. Every every Olympics is, I think, pretty different. Sochi was different than most, <laughs> I think. Uh, yeah, but I would love to go to Rio for sure. But yeah, we'll see which tennis players are there. I think pretty much seems like everyone. I don't see anybody retiring before then, really. Do you like Olympic tennis? I, I don't. I think it could be a lot better. I would like it more if it was some sort of Hoffman Cup type format or something. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, it just feels like a, a normal tournament. And that's what I remember so much about London is that there were all, it build up to all these stories. Like, even little things. Like, remember Paula Suarez came back for the Olympics? Yeah, that's right. And she, like, it was a whole year like, hey, I'm coming back for the Olympics. It's gonna be so cool. And then she goes and she loses first round and it's over. And in doubles, she lost with dolco and it was just like when you once you're actually in the Olympics, it's just like any other single elimination tournament. And so during the week, I don't think it feels much different. I like best of three for the men with no tiebreak in the third. It's an yes. awesome format. That's great. That's what how slam should be. I've been saying forever. That part I like about the Olympics. Um, I like seeing players get excited when they win medals. It clearly means a lot to them. I think it should be the Olympics. I I don't think that it shouldn't be. It's a weird argument to make, I think. But, yeah, overall, I wish that it was more unique. I wish there was some sort of team aspect or something. And I wish that it was possible, even though I know it can't be, with the pretty set-in-stone tour calendar, for tennis to almost take more of a break for the Olympics. Because I think in 2016, I believe the Olympics are coming in between canada and cincinnati like sandwiched right in there yeast like masters olympics masters which is gonna be brutal
1: where is it rio oh i thought you meant the one after that okay gotcha
0: oh no 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 the one after Sorry, that yeah. is in uh tokyo 2020 that's
1: right duh I Knew that. Sorry, and 2024 I just,
0: like, is not going to be in Boston.
1: It's not like, going to be in Boston.
0: Oh, which is it would have been a, a kind of an adorable, it would Olympics. have been
1: amazing. It would have, have been Olympics wicked swim. awesome. It would be wicked awesome. All the mass holes would come out in full force. Gronk would light the torch. It'd be Jared awesome. Jared
0: Donaldson would be like Olympic age by then, and it would have been phenomenal. Oh, love. He's from New Jersey, which is uh, sorry, he's from Rhode Island, which is close enough.
1: Love you, Boston, but also very wise <laughs> do not,
0: no one, do should not just, the olympics a,
1: no one should ever want to host the olympics i'm sorry don't do it like if you are a, a fu- if you have a mildly functioning economy uh do not sign on to host I the think, olympics i
0: feel like it's a really aspirational thing to want like i understand why Almaty, kazakhstan is bidding for 2022 like you right. should be bidding for 2022 kazakhstan make your move. do your thing but like yeah cities that are already known around the world and don't need aren't trying to make a big move anyhow, I don't think need it. Especially like all these middle range American cities like Boston. It's one thing if it was like New York wanted to do it, and they wouldn't need to do a whole lot to do it. Relative.
1: It's why I was actually quite surprised that Tokyo put in a bid for it. Yeah, they don't need it. They really don't. Although it, I mean, I'm looking forward to like Ariake Coliseum getting a bit of a makeover because that place needs it. But yeah. um, yeah, I mean, they really don't.
0: Back to the question. Will it feel different outside Wimbledon? I think, yeah. I, think, I mean, Wimbledon was it's a hard not for, to. I think.
1: Yeah. Wimbledon felt special because there was so much going on because in addition to all of, you know, oh, it's at the All England Club and oh, there's going to be colors um, at Wimbledon, what it's going to be like to see people actually wearing, you know, pigment on the lawns there. Um, and then on top of that, you had Andy Murray and you had this potential for him to basically once in a lifetime opportunity something that he will never get a chance to do again, which is win a gold medal on home soil.
0: And you had Mix um, making its debut in
1: Oh yeah, that's right. So. That's right. Mix making the debut as well. So um so it felt super, super different. And also it was coming on the heels of that Wimbledon final. There were a lot of different storylines.
0: Serena was surging.
1: Of, Serena was surging. Yeah, there was just a lot. So I can't imagine that Rhea will have that same level of drama. Not because it's like like Rio is any lesser than Wimbledon it's just like it's such a unique situation for for the Olympics to be held at Wimbledon um, but I think that Rio will have quite a bit of drama because we are talking about what is going to be the curtain call for I think a, a quite, a, quite a handful a of players. A lot of
0: people like yeah, it could so, be kind of a
1: a bloodletting
0: afterwards it, yeah like a bloodbath of or what's the like a car wash of curtains let's put it that way in terms of curtain calls <laughs> it's going to be yeah. Yeah, like people who I don't think will play in Tokyo include pretty much everybody. As you know, much. like it's a lot of people who aren't going to play in Tokyo. In terms of like, it's just obvious ones: Federer and all, both Williamses. Uh, I guess Murray and Djokovic probably will hang around till twenty twenty. I guess they would be in their early thirties at that point, but who knows? Um, you know, Poe would probably won't make it to Tokyo. I'm guessing. You know, just yeah. a lot of different people will have their final Olympics there. And so that might ratchet it up a bit. Especially if people announce in advance that they're retiring either... I assume people will play the US Open after because it's so close after. It'd be weird to stop at the Olympics and not the US Open for sure. like only two weeks or something. Um, but yeah, it'll be a lot of, a lot of farewelling. Which we thought what? would happen a little bit in London and it didn't really.
1: It didn't really, no. But like what if
0: brian's also not playing past 2020. oh yeah the
1: Bryant's also what if serena has the chance to do the golden slam next year
0: (laughs) wait hold on so you're saying what if serena reels off the next four slams as well
1: is that really out of the question like really
0: i'm gonna bet again like really
1: you can i mean is it really i mean it's like it's not like an absurd suggestion
0: i think Djokovic will have a better chance to golden slam in 2016 than serena oh that's a good call and so he that's could. a good call that's a totally good call but okay let's, let's sidebar question different question mm. how different would it feel right now if both Novak and Serena were going for it in New York
1: yeah I don't know I mean yeah it would feel different but I kind of like Serena having the stage
0: I agree she, she she's deserved it
1: because the thing is is that if Novak was going through it too that would divert like you know but like in Europe yeah and like people who like like you have to pull teeth to make them write about women's tennis anyway like they'd be like oh never mind I'm just gonna go write about Novak you know like and then like I'll append Serena to the bottom of my Novak story sort of thing you know and I'm like oh no 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 you get you have to write about Serena you have no choice this is the story
0: and especially I do prefer that especially the way like post-mortems on slams always focus on the men because the men final comes second it's a big part of that I think it's just fresh in people's minds and it's hard to to not do that. Even on our show, sometimes I feel like we fall into not trap. But we went talking about the men's final recency first. bias. Yeah, exactly. Speaking of, how about this question from Robert Silverstein, who asks us, "What would make more headlines globally: Roger wins the U.S. Open or Serena does the Grand Slam?" I will take oh. Serena. I think you're taking the opposite, Courtney.
1: <sighs> I think I may be going the opposite. Like I'm mad about it, but. I do think that, that, that it well, would be opposite.
0: Why do you think so? Because I think that Grand Slam is Grand Slam. And maybe I'm American biased here. And maybe I'm a little WTA biased. But I think just a Grand Slam is, is bigger than some guy winning his first slam in his last uh, 12, 13, 12 tries.
1: No, I mean, I think that it's an underestimation of, of the power of Roger. And, um, and that at the end of the day, worldwide um i'm gonna go out on the limb and say there are more roger Federer fans than serena williams fans i agree
0: with that yeah
1: um and so yeah and so given kind of it's it's the cur- it's the cur- it's it's the curse that follows serena that she she wins and it's not news because in our minds we think she's supposed to win it's when she loses that it becomes like ooh you know and she said as much um and it's and I can totally understand that to be incredibly frustrating and very unfair to her. The flip side of it is, but this is also the respect that you've kind of earned over the course of your career. Is that like it should be shocking when you lose because that's how good you are. Um, whereas with Roger, like he's this, he's kind of like the underdog now. Yeah. And everybody loves an underdog story. Serena's not an underdog.
0: Not at all. So the op- whatever the op- complete opposite of an underdog. The
1: complete opposite, right? Yeah. She's the one that gets root rooted against everywhere except hopefully this time in new york um and so i think with roger it would there would be more storylines there i think again it taps into a little bit what i was saying before about you know in a uh sports writing culture that still puts the men ahead of the women um people will then be more inclined to write the roger story because it's like a more you know, poignant narrative about father, you know, all that
0: yeah.
1: bullshit narrative shit, like, right. Like uh, fatherhood, 33, 34, twilight of his career. People thought he was done, all that sort of stuff. Whereas it's like with Serena, if she goes on to do this and she goes on to complete the, the grand slam, it is a little bit of a, like, you know, she was what we, th- who she thought, who we thought she was.
0: It's coronation. It's not going to be a shock. And Roger right. winning, would be a little bit of a surprise just because he hasn't done it in so long. Although I will say that Roger, people talk a lot about how Wimbledon is is really his last great chance. Roger is like pretty much just as good in New York as he is at Wimbledon. There's not much of a discernible difference. In fact, stat time, four of the past seven years, Roger has done better at the U.S. Open than did at Wimbledon. Yeah. There you go. I mean, he's made – and,
1: and that, last year, I mean, you look at it, and you're just like, if not for a completely zoning Marin Cilic,
0: he wins that tournament.
1: He wins that tournament. Yeah, he he beats Nishikori in
0: the final for sure, especially how dead Nishikori was in that final.
1: Yeah, K was pretty wiped in that final.
0: Granted, Novak, uh, granted, Roger was wiped too, but true. Yeah, I mean, he came so close. Everyone like it seemed like he was on the doorstep when all he had because Djokovic had lost Nishikori earlier on Saturday. And when all Roger had to do to win the US Open was beat Chilich and Nishikori, it seemed like it was a given. And then Nishikori and Chilich just dragged him, yeah. and it was it was kind of off. one of those <laughs> like bunch,
1: a bunch of writers kind of like oh you know what I'm gonna get get a little bit of a head start start doing my Roger Federer wins the tournament story, and then in about forty five minutes you were like Control A, Delete.
0: Good keystroke. Did you learn any new keystroke? I know you got your PC for WTA.
1: Uh, yeah, I know. Did you learn
0: it, any new cool uh, Windows it, keyboard yes, shortcuts? Yes,
1: for sure. I don't. I haven't memorized them to the extent that like I know my Mac key, uh, keyboard shortcuts. For people who don't know, I have been issued a WTA laptop, which is um, great. It's a really good laptop, but it's a PC. Um, and I've been using MacBooks uh, since 2009, since I left my old job. Um, so le- relearning to do everything on a PC has been tough. So I put out a call asking Twitter to help me with like keyboard shortcuts. Cause I don't like using a mouse. Like, you know, like if, and so, um, you know, all of the basic stuff, the universal keystrokes like control a control X, control V control Z control T all of those. Like I already knew all of those, um, cause they work on a Mac, but yeah, the, they're little keyboard shortcuts to like, basically kind of like if you set up your desktop, the correct way with like kind of 10 programs like on the taskbar and you memorize like which ones are which like one two three four five you can just basically hit like window three and then that takes you to that program oh really like immediately which is pretty great i, I like that Try that
0: right now but it might yeah, stop yeah. this recording
1: yeah no but if like you know how you have like that taskbar at the bottom
0: uh-huh
1: on the left hand side like in the uh, the bottom should like basically in order from left to right it should be one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. So if you hit the Windows button and then whatever is the corresponding window number, it should pop up immediately or go to it directly.
0: Huh. Yeah. Good
1: to know. I'll have to play around. So yeah, like so, I I'm trying to memorize all of the keystrokes to get in in and out in between, uh uh windows because on uh my Mac I use like the all the gestures on the t- the trackpad which are very like quick in terms of being able to clear the desktop. It's just like one swipe to access all of your programs. And then click is like a swipe and click. It's very fast. PC doesn't really allow you to do the same thing. So I have to like relearn all that sort of stuff, which is annoying. But um... watching
0: somebody who's really good at keyboard shortcuts can be mesmerizing.
1: Oh yeah. No, my, my secretary went um, uh, at my old job. Uh, yeah. She was the same way. Like she literally never used her mouse. Even, like, highlighting in documents. Like, she used, like, keyboard strokes yeah. and stuff. And, like, I would obviously stand behind her as she was, like, kind of putting the final touches on the stuff that I had to file and stuff. And it was incredible. I didn't know what she was doing and what keys she was hitting. But it was, like, a different level of, like, uh, yeah, Jedi Jedi knowledge.
0: Greg Bishop, awesome. formerly of New York Times, now is Sports Illustrated the same way. He's, yeah. like, his things fly around and it's magical. Yeah. And I highly recommend watching over his shoulder if you ever have the chance um which you probably won't most people but you know if he wants to put on (laughs) a show yeah Yeah. um here is another question you mentioned this site earlier this question is from sang paul gorge i'm sure i'm pronouncing that wrong uh asked do you pay any notice to tennis forum oh tennis forum
1: (laughs) why don't you explain ben tennis forum to everyone
0: tennis forum is was formerly known as WTA World back when I first found it. Really, I didn't know that. Oh yeah, yeah. Now back in like 2000, like I first saw it in 2006 or something. It was called T- WTA World, and I think they did some sort of uh, copyright thing with. Oh, WTA, that makes sense. Yeah. And yeah. so they changed their name to the Ultra Generic Tennis Forum, um, and it's a women's tennis site, and it has an incredible amount of just like catty snark about women's tennis. Um, And it's a place that's like at the same time, clearly has a lot of love for women's tennis, which I obviously appreciate, but it's also (laughs) enjoys being super, super juvenile, but it's also really wide ranging. It's a lot of people contributing to it. And before Twitter especially was one of the better places to sort of find like under the radar tennis stories on the women's side. Um so it's a very active, very international membership base. Um doesn't have the best reputation for being nice or civil on any level. Um it's sort of like the 4chan of tennis, I guess. <laughs> on some level. Yeah, Is that cool. fair? Yeah, yeah. That's fair. Um so I know a lot of players have I've heard different players going there and finding nothing good and feeling scarred. Um yeah. tennis parents. Ten- I've heard
1: a lot of tennis parents who like monitor their daughters uh or they they you know just are on the site and they see the things that people write about their kids and i'm always like don't go there
0: <laughs> don't go if you're if you're in tennis there's not much reason to go there T- but tennis forum I, is a is a there's an i think a entirely fine little subculture really is i i was a member of it he, for that, sure he, when he, i was before yeah. i was a writer um i wasn't like a super active you know flaming troll person but I was there it was fun
1: yeah I mean I think that you nailed it um, in terms of like pre twitter it was what twitter an unmitigated twitter or like an unregulated twitter would be like um there like if you had full anonymity and uh you could post whatever you wanted and say whatever the hell you wanted with absolutely zero repercussion yeah um you know, that's what it was. And I think that when I first kind of started getting back into tennis and it was a great shortcut in terms of like getting a, a, a sense of the pulse of what super hardcore tennis fans thought of different players um, or like what that player's reputation was and things like that. Um, so when I, first, I mean, I definitely was like, I, I don't think, I, I think I've maybe posted on it like five times um, back, like when I was still blogging at 40 Deuce and stuff like that. Um, but there did once Twitter kind of like became more of a hub and, and things like that. I definitely, I mean, I haven't been back to tennis forum in like years.
0: Yeah. For, tennis, Um, I think message boards in general, the other one that I used a lot was talk about tennis, which was the first ones I ever got credentialed through back. Gosh, like, uh, 2008.
1: Yeah. I was Uh, more a resident of tennis world. Yeah. Uh, which was, uh, Pete Bodo's blog, like you would go into the comments, and that would just you just spend the whole day in the comments. It was fun. It was great.
0: It was pre like I guess t- I guess message boards mes- message boards are a social network, but it was pre sort of the really dominant Twitter, Facebook type takeover of the internet. I guess especially Twitter. Yeah. M- yeah, for sure. Heyday, and when like television without pity, all these different things yes. were sort of were big. Yeah
1: back when back when, they were, back when boards were the way to go
0: I'm kind of right? curious like, what's on tennis forum i wonder what their lead stories are this week Let me look
1: go ahead and look i will say here's my little tennis forum anecdote from this past week my father one morning Uh-oh. like was like so you're not very popular on tennis forum <laughs> and i like and i looked at him and i was like what the f- fuck are you doing on tennis forum like why are you reading that and he's like i don't i was like how do you even find it like what's going on like i'm sure he was googling
0: you or something
1: i don't know i genuinely don't know i mean i i have come to learn that he (laughs) obviously follows me like he goes and checks my twitter feed every once in a while um so maybe he was reading the mentions or something because people have been messaging me being like oh you know there's a whole thread devoted to you on tennis forum right now after i announced the thing about the wta uh and I and I've politely told people I was like, cool, but knowing what I know about Tennis Forum, and again, it's a site I haven't been to in years, like I'm not gonna click on that link. Like there's nothing good comes from from doing that and uh for me anyway. But um, but yeah, it was kind of mortifying and actually genuinely made me sad. Like that like my dad had like read I'm
0: sad. I've hope my whatever. parents have never seen You know what
1: that I mean? Like is yeah. it's like like he has no context of what it is, like because he was like what is it exactly and so i was explaining it to him and he's like oh cuz he thought it was like a like you know just like a he's really into photography so he goes on he hangs out a lot on like photography boards yeah which are completely nerdy and geeky and really high-minded and civilized yeah. you know when they talk about lenses and specs and aperture and all that sort of stuff so i think that that's what he thought like tennis forum was cuz i don't think he like jumps into the, all the all the other threads so I think that it took him quite by surprise.
0: The, <laughs>
1: Whatever he read. The and most was like,
0: recent topic on the general messages of tennis forum: which tennis, which players have the biggest boobs on tour? That is the most recent topic updated. Okay. Let's see. Uh. Uh. Yeah. No, I have read my. I've read. You know what people say about me on tennis forum, which is obviously not smart always, but it is still an interesting sort of pulse to tap into of the tour i think on some level i mean it's good to sort of have some sense of what the what that world is thinking even if it <laughs> doesn't I, I completely disagree with the notion i've seen a few times people who say that i get like store that the press gets all their story ideas from tennis form. i don't know when that ever happened i'd be surprised <laughs> if any journalists were really doing that if there are specific examples yeah. okay but i certainly don't would ever do that
1: no no, no.
0: <laughs> okay uh, let's move <laughs> on to a different topic let's do one of these email questions this is from joseph healy who says love the podcast and congrats to courtney on her new gig with the wta congrats Courtney. thank you who is a player You are
1: clearly not on tennis forum
0: <laughs> who is a player whose brief run of success whether that's at one particular major during a specific calendar year or otherwise seems so bizarre in hindsight that it's almost tough to believe Certainly, I don't mean to disparage players by saying that success was a surprise, but there are some results that are just so out of step with most everything else in that player's career. And then Joseph uh, Joe adds uh, Robbie Gennepri making a slam semi at USF 2005, as an example, and Jersey Janovitz in 2013 Wimbledon. Um, kind of really quick sidebar back to the tennis forum before we get into this question. Did you know, like, the tours obviously pay attention to what's on tennis forum, or the WTA does anyway yeah, 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 to yeah. the point where they once put like a help wanted ad for like a job opening they had on Tennis Forum and like took applications. I think you told
1: made- me this, yeah.
0: Yeah, no, I heard that, and I know someone, I know who it is at WTA who got their job from being a Tennis Forum member, which I just think is interesting that it is you know something of a resource of like finding this community of women's tennis aficionados. Oh, anyway, for sure.
1: and and nowadays that's Twitter.
0: Yeah, exactly. Nowadays um, people
1: that they they do they do find it on Twitter, but that is also you know, let it be known the powers that be are watching. So, you know, if you, yeah, that's, you know, if you say whatever, probably not going to get a job. No, If you want the job in the first place, which many people don't want anyway. So it's fine.
0: Definitely not. So according to this question, whose brief run of success, whatever, looking back seems the most like of all. Okay. I have have a quick, Um, my first thought on this go ahead yep is it also 2013 Wimbledon and it was Wimbledon but she didn't have the the most broken draw with Kirsten Flipkins making the semis of that tournament to me yeah. that just stands out as a complete huh that was never backed up whatsoever afterwards that's my first thought janovits we knew had the skills that year he made the finals of Bercy i think less than 12 months before um, and he was a big, powerful serving guy who had a, Yeah,
1: had if you some, see if problems. you see his game Yeah, if you see his game, you know that if it lines up Yeah It's powerful Right Right? I mean, it it, it, it works, it operates I mean, the names that pop into mind for me uh, Janina Wickmeyer Grand Slam semifinalist
0: Wickmeyer had a really interesting sort of like six months Because she did that She made the semis of that really broken, really broken US Open she beat i guess she She played
1: bondarenko in the quarters for a spot maybe
0: after bondarenko had double bagel Gisela Dolko in the fourth round
1: and also Um, beaten Anna ivanovich
0: yeah bondarenko had yeah and then i think i think the only seed who i'm doing this from memory i think the only seed who i think wickmeyer played was first round i want to say she played like Rosano, who was like some seed at that point rozano
1: was a seed
0: yeah kvitova had beaten safina before kvito was really well known um, when Safina Sf- was the top seed, on the other part of that, on the lower part, Melanie Udan had re- wrought havoc. Uh, it was a weird, weird term. But that was really one of those lopsided draws that Caroline came made the final of. Eventually. Yeah,
1: that was flushing Geddon.
0: Yeah, that was that was rough. That's a good one. A bit, and then Wickmeyer had, but Wickmire had a pretty solid like six months after that, and then had that weird semi like missed test ban that she and yeah, got at the true. same time, so she had to play. Australian Open through qualifying, even though she was in the top 30 or something, and then she made it pretty deep in that tournament and lost to Justin yeah. and it was coming back. Anyway, it was a wild time to be Anita Wickmeyer and she's never been the same since. <laughs> um, yeah, she really has not lived up to that at all, because she was, I think, seen as a relatively blue-chip prospect after that run, the same way that, like, yeah. Kerber a little bit was, when Kerber made her random US Open semi and then totally backed that up. Yeah, backed it up, yeah. But Wickmeyer didn't really. It hasn't since. Oh, that's a good one.
1: This one isn't really fair because no. it obviously lasted for a really long time—not really long time, but relatively speaking, a significant amount of time. But I'm still flabbergasted by the Dinara Safina care, uh, career arc. Right, that came I find no- that to be pretty fascinating because of all the players who have held the number one ranking over the last like decade, there is no player that like I would have said. Like more definitively, nope, never her, than Dinara Safina.
0: Huge overachiever. Like for all the Huge, talk about massive, she, she did choke and just flopped in a few Grand Slam finals. That's undeniable. But her
1: overachieving got her into the. But Grand overachieving
0: Slam to be a number one, she just had no business being number one based on pure talent, which is a credit to her. I mean, obviously being an overachiever is a good thing, and obviously she got a lot, an unbelievable amount of crap for her at the time because Serena had won, you know, and from Serena herself. Uh, had won three grand slams and wasn't number one denaro won zero so if you want to say she didn't deserve it whatever but the fact that she was up that far when she was really just a complete afterthought in the staff family yeah for so long that is definitely a remarkable story and she would be she'd be a fascinating like 30 for 30 one day i would totally watch Denara 30 for 30
1: i would totally no one would ever
0: make it or green light it but i would watch it yep, yep.
1: kickstarter
0: that
1: would be good 42 or sorry uh, no challenges remaining kickstarter we do that. We will do it.
0: You will do it. I you will do it. Our girl. Yes. So you guys send us your, your pics for this. This will be going to get some submissions for them. We'll retweet awesome ones. Hashtag tweet us with hashtag Huh? <laughs> yeah, that'll work. Um, or
1: hashtag that happened.
0: Uh, oh, that's better. That's better. Hashtag that happened. Yeah. Like, remember when Aravane Rizai won Madrid, and then Maria Jose Martinez Sanchez won Rome right after. MGMT. Huh? That happened. That happened. Uh, let's do. Let's let's wrap up the questions with. We uh, got quite a few requests for take a number. People want it. Uh, Frampton wants it. Shola wants it. Everybody wants it. Do we want it, Courtney?
1: Not really, but I want what the people
0: want. Right. So... It's hard. It's a daunting thing to do. It's tough. It's tough. We'll see. All we'll right. see if it's any Let's good. Do. We'll Let's see. Do. So we're going For those of you who haven't heard take a number before, we haven't done it in quite a while. Uh, this is where we take a number between one and a hundred and talk about the number who corresponds. Sorry, talk about the player who corresponds to that number. We just talk about the number, like yeah, eighty-four. That's a small number, divisible by twelve. Uh, we could talk about the player on the ATP, at WTA rankings. It corresponds our thoughts, feelings, emotions, reactions, whatever to this player. You ready to go, Courtney? I'm ready to go. So our number between one and a hundred this time is do to 60. Something round number. Can't be too mad at 60. All right, Courtney, you looking at the ladies? I am. Okay. Courtney, who we got on the ladies' side at number 60
1: on the ladies' side. We have a young American. Okay. One of the younger Americans, um, who, uh, had a pretty fine start to her pro career, notched a couple of big wins over Caroline Wozniacki, mm, mm-hmm. kind of uh, signaled her arrival, and then uh, uh, came down with mono, I believe. Yep. And um, and has really just been battling to to get herself back up, and is actually at sixty is is, is pretty darn good for her. We're talking about the one and only T Neck New Jersey's finest, Christina McHale.
0: Christina McHale. Ex Tina uh, McHale. Ex Tina. XMC would be such a good rapper name if that was her. That's a
1: good name. That's a great right? rapper
0: name. I feel like Christina McHale, no offense, to her would not be a great rapper. Probably not. I don't Probably feel not. like she has the flow. No, but she could do something maybe that was like really because Christina McHale is like very chill.
1: That's she's the... super chill.
0: Low very pulse, nice. Very low pulse.
1: Very nice. Like in a
0: compliment way. Just like yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, so far a solid career, obviously, like I said, trying to get back to things, has yet to win a WTA singles title. Those a uh, couple of wins against Caroline Wozniacki that summer, I want to say 2012, maybe?
0: That sounds, that sounds about right.
1: Uh, yeah, no, it, must one, no it was
0: 2011, I think
1: okay, 2011, um, really kind of uh, made everybody start to pay attention a little bit more to her. There was a time when she was the number one, two or number three American.
0: Yeah, she made the Olympic team in 2012. She yeah. was in there. Oh, let me say the guy before we, we can get back to I'm sorry. Bit, but we should say her dance partner um, from Spain. Christina speaks Spanish. Mom is Cuban. They, they can talk. Uh, this guy uh, made a big move in the very lower levels of the game it was sort of a under the radar like hot pick at one point and it's kind of faded away since but steadily up to number 60 which is totally respectable it's pablo Carreno busta young spaniard x like that's another great rapper name busta pcb pcb and and, yeah this they could totally pair up yeah boosted xcm
1: and pcb solid remix
0: right i think so what kind of music would they make something yeah jersey-ish with spanish flair i don't know
1: like basically so basically you're saying a fat joe song
0: pcb is 24 i thought he was younger than that he's he's already 24 it does sound like yeah no yeah boost is boost is young yeah but i thought he was younger than 24 he's already 24 he's been around a while yeah I remember when Busta had his like run, he went like on a huge tear of winning like five futures in a row and like a challenge or yeah. something like that. Maybe He's two challenges. Nice
1: this is I I will say this about this 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 duo of PCM or sorry, CM X, XMC and PCB. Nice people. Is that they are incredibly nice people. Like both like equally so. Like Pablo Carino Busta is just like an incredibly nice, quiet, shy. Spanish guy who's just like doing his doing his thing and, and and going about his business and he's he's very nice.
0: Anyway, so he got went on that run of winning all those futures and challengers, and then he drew in his first ever slam match, he drew Federer at the French Open, in I want to say twenty twelve, and a lot of people thought like, "Ooh, Federer could be in trouble here," and then he lost like in really routine straights, and it just goes to show not to read too much into challengers. Almost ever, when yeah. it comes to being a really pro tour like top level, obvious and playing, and just give a lot of credit to how big a step up it is. It should might seem like obvious, but how big a step up it is to play Federer, I believe it was on Long Lawn at a slam, and how nothing, no matter how much you win, things can't prepare you for that. Yeah, you really need reps, and maybe and is young. I mean, I can totally see him being someone who gets to be seated at a slam once or twice in his career. I don't know how much upside he has, but he can be like a poor man's rubredo. I think maybe
1: <sighs> Tommy has a little more charisma.
0: Okay. Than, Tommy, than... Does Tommy have that much charisma?
1: I would never... He does. Okay. When you speak to, when you speak to Tommy, he's very like, he's actually a very, he's a charming human being. He seems I like on
0: results more than anything.
1: Oh yeah, maybe. Nah, I don't know.
0: Okay. I don't know. But I don't, anyways, I don't
1: know if PCB's game is is, is, is as is
0: there. PCB, though, is important because he is the only young Spaniard. Like, the only one. This is a generation that is not there following up this generation of, you know, Ferrer, Nadal, Lopez, Verdasco, Robredo. There's a... Granollers, I guess, is in there, too. There's a big, big drop-off when it comes to the younger guys. And Spanish tennis will fade away it's entirely possible that pcb will be the number one spaniard at some point when he's out of the top 30 if they all age out and there's no one coming behind talking about you know problems with american tennis i think spanish tennis is a sort of at a bit of a cliff which is reflected in their davis cup group already but otherwise not really. french tennis as well french french have they have more though they have we they have locally they have you Know uh, that other guy, um, from- <laughs> no, 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 uh, Canton Halice, they made a, you know, they have other. Teams. Oh, I can name French players mm-hmm. who are young, I cannot name Spaniards who are like, fair enough, up there, fair enough. Anyway, that's what my thoughts on Pablo Christina. Christina's like a nice girl, like, it's the thing with Christina, she's hard to make super interesting at this point. When she had a lot of big wins, you mentioned the wins over Wozniak, she had a win over. Kvitova and Indian Wells mm-hmm. also and Kvitova was number three in 2012 right. um, and during that Indian Wells Armageddon year when everybody got norovirus or whatever um, yeah she was doing well and then it faded away and hasn't entirely come back yet at all
1: yeah. No, but she's, pushes, I mean, she's,
0: yeah. She
1: start. Yeah. She's starting, I think to play better tennis now. I mean, she, she had a pretty good grass court season. Wasn't too bad. And um, you know, and she's, she's best on hard court. So maybe at the U S open series, she'll, she'll make a move, but yeah, I mean, she, yeah, that's, I mean, it sounds weird, but it's, and I don't mean it as an insult because especially in tennis, it's, it's, it's a, it's, it's a compliment. She's just, she's just a very nice, normal American girl. Uh, Christina McHale slightly on the shyer side, um her sister lauren McHale, uh plays at duke
0: no she played for unc and, st- and oh right.
1: unc stopped. okay
0: and I'm now, she's, and now okay. she's been lauren McHale has been traveling around the tour uh we're doing various jobs for different different people she was working for channel 7 australia at wimbledon yeah like a production assistant or something yeah um dating ryan harrison lauren McHale is, was at least less i heard yeah less i heard <laughs> yeah so uh, yeah. yeah so those they're sort of a pair in there. I think Christina has been very happy to have her sister around because it's pretty tight knit family, she's, she's and getting to travel tight. with getting to yeah. travel with a non-player family member who's kind of there doing their own thing is rare and a luxury in tennis, so works out well sure. for the McHale sisters
1: for sure. And yeah, she. I'm looking at this Christina McHale press briefing that was sent out <laughs> before Wimbledon by our good friend Katie Spellman, who represents does. Uh, uh, does Christina McHale's PR, also obviously represents Petra Kvitova. Um, but here are a few did-you-know-facts about Christina McHale. Oh, boy. One, she's a diehard Yankees fan, which if you follow her on Twitter, you do know. I
0: don't think um, uh,
1: She is fluent, fluent in Spanish, very proud of her Cuban roots. And this is always one of, for me, like, the coolest fact about Christina McHale. She speaks Mandarin
0: Yeah. because she grew Mandarin. up in
1: Hong Kong. So, like, when she's in China, when she goes and does, like, the China swing, she's, like, totally comfortable. Like, she loves it. I've talked to her when I've been over there, and she's like, "Oh yeah, it's really fun, because she can actually communicate with people, so that's pretty good." She's now with Lacoste. Okay. Um, uh, The French Open was her first tournament after teaming up with Lacoste. She walked the purple carpet at the WTA pre-Wimbledon party presented by Dubai Duty Free uh, with American actor Kevin McHale, who uh, was on Glee, um, the kid in the wheelchair. Um, I don't know how they know each other.
0: Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. But he was at the party. Because someone from WTA was trying to tell me, like, this isn't that awful, but it was trying to tell me, like, oh, Kevin McHale from Glee. And I was like, I had no idea. I don't watch Glee. I don't, like Glee.
1: I don't watch Glee.
0: But yeah. if someone had been like, oh, it's the kid in the wheelchair from Glee, I would have had some sense of who it was. Because I've at least yeah. seen it enough to know there was somebody in a wheelchair. But without yeah. that context, I would not have known because I don't like Glee. People think I like Glee. I do not.
1: I would never think that you would like
0: Glee. Thank you. That means a lot to me, actually.
1: You're welcome. um More Christina McHale facts. Uh she loves rap and hip hop. She is most likely listening to Pitbull or Rihanna before she walks on court. Okay. And she just started watching the Mindy project.
0: <laughs> That's making sense. Those,
1: those are the Christina McHale facts I have for you. Uh much love, Katie Spellman.
0: And I will say Christina McHale facts are useful because Christina is is so like unassuming and un you know. Has a much smaller presence than a lot of tennis players Who can't, being an individual sport A lot of tennis players have I don't want to say ego, but have a lot more sort of Presence around And Christina doesn't, Christina is very much Not somebody with any discernible Ego or arrogance Or hey hey look at me At all, almost to a She's out
1: there to just play her her tennis, work hard She's a very hard worker Um, Here's a question for
0: uh, you about Christina Is she lucky Mm -hmm. or unlucky to be an American And therefore under the radar if Christina McHale had been British, her life would have been so different. She would have oh, had come such an I mean spotlight. that's
1: that's you could say that about everybody.
0: But Christina McHale especially because she's been so overshadowed in the US. Like if she was in from most other countries, she would be higher up on their radar than she is in the US. Almost any other country. Maybe bar Russia or something.
1: Maybe. I mean I don't know. I find that to be just kind of like a empty hypothetical. Okay. Because any player who would be, like, the number one of any country is going to be better off than being, you know, the no, number I'm... 12 of one country. No, you but know? I'm
0: just saying even – no, but even just, like, a different country that has a different sort of climate, like even France, let's say, where – Well, first just... of
1: all, I don't think that any – I don't think – that I think you have to be cut of very, very d- strong cloth to be British tennis player. Yeah, And I don't, I'm not entirely sure that that would be a, uh, environment that would be comfortable for For Mikhail. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, she's, she's, I mean, she's just like a, like, she's just unassuming and, and and doesn't have like a mean, uh, or, you know, kind of like a edgy bone in her body. Like, you know, like, she's just like, she's Christina. So I think that, that, that in that situation where like, you'd have to like answer for everything and be poked and prodded um you know kind of with all these sorts of questions and things like that and kind of be made into a thing that uh that you may or may not be i don't i don't think that she'd be incredibly comfortable with that
0: yeah so we were comfortable with this number though solid nice number number 60 pablo Cranabusta. christina McHale. nice number just nice Thank you guys very much for listening to Take Number and all the rest of the show. If you want to follow along with us when you're not listening, you can do so by liking us on Facebook, facebookcom podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at ncr_tennis. If you want to subscribe to the show and get it delivered automatically, you can do so on iTunes, RSS, any podcast app of your choice. And if you're doing it on iTunes, leave us reviews. We like that. If you want to send us questions for a future question show. Not sure how many questions shows so we'll be doing in the near future, but we'll try. Uh, email questions, no remaining at gmail.com. And email us whatever else you want. Thoughts, responses, happy to get mail all the time. Let's wrap up with a rant rave segment. Courtney, what's on your mind?
1: So I've been having to do, like not having to do, because that makes it sound like it's a chore and it's not. But, um, you know, a lot of summer barbecues with family and things like that. And, um, our house, we have a fairly large, uh, grass lawn in front of our house. You've been to my house, Ben mm-hmm. you can vouch for this. You and so grass. we have quite a bit of grass. And so, um, um, in preparation for hosting these, uh, barbecues, um, I started kind of thinking, well, you know, it's a good amount of people and, um, it's kind of an all day thing as most American proper barbecues are, uh, let's try and find some lawn games or something that we can play outs- outside outside as opposed to like, you know, what we normally do, which is like play soccer or throw a football around or play Frisbee, that sort of thing. Try and find something, because we're getting a little older and I was like, I don't want to run around in the heat I want to do something like chill. So I started like kind of Googling and looking around and stuff like that. And I came across this game that was super, super intriguing. I ended up buying like three or four games, but this game... Everyone who played it loved it. Um, it didn't matter, like kids from age like five to like adults in their seventies. Like everybody loved it. Everybody played together. It was an absolute hit, and which is great because it wasn't cheap. So it was like it totally it it I was so it was so worth it. But it's this uh, game called KUB, uh, spelled K U B B. It's a apparently, as the legend goes, an ancient Swedish game. It's played with uh, with uh, basically a bunch of pieces that are made of wood and one of the 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 stories that I'd heard um, in researching the game which I then basically relayed to everybody as though it was truth to kind of not just explain the game and give it historical context but also to kind of help explain the rules and stuff but it actually got people really okay. into it was So Koob is a game where there's two sides uh two teams it can be it can be one man teams or whatever but basically you have like a line of five like wood blocks um kind of in front of you on each side and then you put in the middle in the middle of the field the king and you're given six long wood sticks and you have to toss them and knock over what i call the soldiers before you hit the king
0: I think I've seen it. Okay, this. so those
1: are, okay. those are the basic rules. There's a few per, the, a few permutations within that because of things, but I'm going to leave that aside. But basically, the story that I heard, which was, like, totally amazing, was that this was an ancient Viking game and that the Vikings would go, like, after they pillaged a village, would play this game of Coob using, for those wood blocks, skulls of the dead. Naturally. Right? And then they would put, as a king, a bone with the skull on top, like into the ground. And as the wood sticks that they were throwing, they were using bones, like femurs, arms, whatever. And that's how they played. And so when I told this story to like the kid, like my little cousins that I was trying to, they were like, um, and so they they were calling them skulls and femurs. And like, we kind of used a lot of war analogies. Like I was like, retreat, retreat, retreat when like I was trying to get them to get out of the way when the other team was throwing these sticks. I was like no you don't want to get hit anyways everybody loved the game like my dad and my uncle were into this great uh, great battle i played with my cousins um i played with like a bunch like i taught the kids how to play it and made the field a little bit shorter but it's great it's uh, yeah so it's i have a total rave for it it's totally worth the money uh it's called kubb k-u-b-b you can buy a set on amazon they'll ship it to you for free Um, I bought the super expensive, like $80 set because it was like heavy wood and I wanted it to be heavy, but it's great. And I totally recommend it.
0: While you were talking about, you know, people throwing bones at skulls, Mm -hmm. it made me really grateful that I was born when I was (laughs) in the, in the period of time. I feel like I would have been a pretty, I would have been okay, but I feel like I'm better off not being like a Viking or any other sort of barbarian times. Yeah, just the whole like no indoor plumbing, mm-hmm. constantly pillaging things, mead, thinking that, disgusting. like disgusting. Meat is gross. It's Talking gross. about grog, things, even worse. I haven't had grog, I think, but meat is not good. Yeah, no. Yeah. But the,
1: here's a the really cute thing. So I was explaining all this game to my cousin, who is I want to say maybe in first or second grade, and he's a very curious, precocious kid, and he was like so the vikings would do this when they when they took over a village and i was like yeah and he was like they take over a lot of villages and i was like yeah like all over the world and he looks at me and like really confused and he's like why didn't america stop them (laughs) (laughs) and i was like first of all doll america secondly i was like well the thing is america's only like 250 years old ethan like vikings were like thousands of years ago yeah. and i swear to god i broke his brain He was like what yeah but it was oh, pretty it,
0: cute i love that he thinks that America's gonna save the world that's how all kids should think
1: america team america world police
0: <laughs> right even like going back in time yeah. vikings did show up in north america at some point then they hung out in like uh, Newfoundland or something
1: yeah exactly and that's why yeah. there's a huge uh, um, Scandinavian influence up there yeah in, like Newfoundland and then down towards like even like starting in Wisconsin and then moving west right towards
0: uh, well, that was later Swedish later British. but
1: eventually but yeah. like
0: yeah. yeah we've had Scandinavians they get along well we like their furniture and their meatballs yeah they could and their pop music all good stuff I don't have one unified endorsement per se I did watch season three of Orange Is New Black, which I think we both enjoyed. Yes. Yes. No, we yeah. already talked about it. We already talked about. it. I know offline, but I was just saying on here. I think yes, for the record,
1: I loved it. And I can I just say this as a partial rant, because okay. I did tweet. Like I was like, I really enjoyed season three of Orange Is the New Black, and a bunch of people were like tweeting me back and being like, it wasn't as good as season one and season two. And I was, and my response, and I didn't get into it on Twitter because I don't do this on Twitter. But I was in my head. I was like, who cares. A crappy season of Orange is New Black is still better than 95% of TV. So what does it matter that it's not as good as like the first two seasons? That's not an indictment of anything. And I don't even, and I personally disagree that it was, I I like season three better than season two. Okay.
0: That's fair. I'm not sure I did. I thought it was a little too spread thin, but. Yeah.
1: Ben's, Ben took issue about the focus on, on tertiary characters.
0: Yeah.
1: Which is totally fair. But like uh, season two, I just really could not stand the V storyline. It made me so mad. I think you saw it because we watched it together in. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I would just get so mad about it. I was just like, I'm really stressed out about this storyline.
0: Prison shouldn't be this stressful, you <laughs> No, guys. it's really freaking me
1: out. So this, this season felt a little bit lighter while at the same time, I mean, Taryn Manning, I bow down. You were amazing in season three. She Please so give good. her all the awards. All the I...
0: awards. I know Uzo Uzo Aduba is always gonna win all the awards for *Oranges Are Black*, which is cool. Crazy eyes Panic should get some. Uh, yeah, should get some some love, uh, Pennsylvania. Yeah. This my rant rave thing. It's just more of an observation. I went to a friend's birthday dinner um, a couple days ago and forgot my phone at home. And it was like cause I knew where I was going, where I was meeting people in advance, so that part was fine. And it wound up being like really nice not having my phone, and I was thinking. That it's something people should try to like coordinate if they can more often. Like, pick a time and place, meet somewhere for dinner, and like everybody leave their phones at home. Just like literally not with you, and you'll be surprised that like it's not. I almost never was like oh, I feel naked and vulnerable without this. Mm-hmm. It was fine overall. I gave it a thumbs up. Maybe not two. I didn't know what time it was a lot of times. I didn't have a watch, <laughs> but otherwise an idea i realize i look at my phone all the time it's not going to dictate your behavior but for that one you know stretch of five hours while i was out it was cool so if you're into that maybe try it
1: i'm glad i'm glad really. that you realized that you could go five hours without looking at your phone
0: i totally can yeah i've
1: Especially, never like... i've never i've never seen that side of you but okay <laughs>
0: <laughs> likewise and with that we'll leave you guys to look at whatever you want have a super time we'll be back to you next week when we hear from you we will be back at our battle stations i'll be at the city open dc courtney you'll be doing stanford bank of the west classic back on our grinds torque beats on it does see you guys later bye guys